You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through a series called The Power of Prayer. If you have a Bible, go to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2, let me get a couple of setup and introduce just our subject and matter and topic, those type of things. If you have a smartphone, it's in the Old Testament, it's by Ezra, there are different things like that. Um, We'll have the words on the screen. We have been looking in this series of the power of prayer, and we looked at Nehemiah chapter 1 about two weeks ago and just how he had a horrible problem and he went to the Lord with it. And I hope you know that you can go to God with your problems. The Bible says, cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. The Bible says that uh, he answers our prayers more than we could even ask or imagine. In the first of this series, we talked about how we can have victory in prayer, how God does listen to us. He answers our prayers. and, And then we talked about Nehemiah, how we're to engage in prayer. When stuff uh, is, is bothering you, when you have anxiety, when you don't know what to do, God is there and can be there for us. Uh, just as why we go to God. This is why even as you saw in the, the dedication, we're praying and we believe God hears. And we realize that it's not just for the trials or the, the downs or the ups or whatever, but uh, as we're living, we're in this spiritual warfare and there's a battle going on, a battle in our flesh, our own sin nature. There's Man, there's a, a world out there with their sets of values. And then there's, there's a, um, the devil and the enemy. And, and we're wrestling in this life. And we have ups and downs. And God says you can go to him in prayer. Having a relationship with God. Talking with Jesus. Uh, him walking through as your good shepherd. And, and we're just taking different aspects of, okay, how is prayer powerful? And what does this mean in our lives? Uh, the next series that we're going to do is a case study of Hezekiah. He was a king in the Old Testament, and we're doing a series called The Beacon of Light. We like to walk through books of the Bible, but because of the prayer and fasting and the season that we're in, we wanted to talk about prayer. And then after Hezekiah, we're going to jump into Exodus. We'll be in Exodus for quite a while. It's a long book. I think there's 40 chapters or so, okay? And so I thought it'd be wise for us to... uh, do a couple of topical series and see what the Bible has to say to prepare our hearts and just um, as we are in this season of prayer to finish out and look at Nehemiah, the rest of his story. You guys know that if you're breathing, you still have a story to tell. God's not done with you. There's a plan. There's a purpose. And so we looked at Nehemiah chapter one and we saw Nehemiah go to God. And uh, now we're going to see him continually going to God. It's not a bother. You can go to God over and over and over again. And so let's read chapter two, verse one through eight. Let's see where the Lord has us tonight and how he wants to speak as we talk about the power of prayer. So we'll read this text and we'll pray and we'll ask the Holy Spirit to speak. It was in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, remember this is context, Artaxerxes is the king of Persia, the empire, the world leader of the nation. When wines were before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. We know that uh, Nehemiah, although he was an exile, a Jew, his uh, position was one of character. He was a cupbearer. So he was before the king. He was working. Uh, this is chapter two in a different month, and he's serving the king. And in verse two, the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick. There was a demeanor, a countenance about Nehemiah that uh, people noticed he was having a hard time. 
especially this king who is around him all the time. There's nothing but sadness of my heart. Then I was very much afraid, he said. You know the context and the history that you didn't want to be sad before the king. The king could take your life. This isn't like a president. He could do whatever he wants. And so Nehemiah speaks open to the king about his relationship. He says, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins? Now he's talking about Jerusalem because he just found out that Jerusalem's walls were broken. They were in shame. The enemies were coming down and attacking. And so this discouraged him. Its gates have been destroyed by fire. And then the king said to me, what are you requesting? What do you want me to do about this situation? A mighty man. Think about it. A mighty man, the king of the world at this moment, is asking Nehemiah, what can I do for you? And Nehemiah's response, he said, so I prayed. It was his nature to go to God over man. And he prayed to the God of heaven. And then he said to the king, If it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in your sight and you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. If it's your favor, just send me. And the king said to me, with the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let the letters be given to the governors and the providence beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah and a letter of Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. He's asking for everything now. This is like he's asking for the, the, the whole house and the kitchen sink. You know what I'm saying? He's like, give me, the, give me the supplies for the temple, a letter, free passage for the walls, and give me some stuff for my house. And the text says, and the king granted me what I ask, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Let's pray and let's dig into it. Jesus, we thank you so much again for your word. We pray now, Holy Spirit, you would teach, uh, calm, Lord, my thoughts and speak through me. I pray, Lord, that you would just minister and thank you, God, that we can talk to you, that we could bring these things before you and that we can pray. And so we ask Holy Spirit to teach and for you to do a work. It's in your name we pray, amen. Well, let me start with a question. It's probably a common question, but it's not asked a lot. Something I've wrestled with and dealt with, but have you ever been disappointed by God in prayer? I know, it's okay. We didn't get struck by lightning. I'm just letting you know, I've had that question. Where he didn't answer quite enough or in a way that I was expecting or in a time or fashion that I was expecting, or he even just simply lovingly, graciously told me, no. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever gone through that season where you're asking God and 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 it seems like maybe even the, the prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and they're not getting to God because you're not seeing anything happen with your request. Now, I'm not talking about prayer requests like the million-dollar prayer requests, like we've all had. You know what I'm talking about? Like my son. Like I remember when they were younger, like, let's pray. Okay, Daddy, or, you know, God, I just pray like I'd have a good day. 
that you give me a new Tesla and that I have great A's. You know what I mean? Like not, not just deciding like I want a million dollar prayer. I'm talking about when you're praying according to God's will, when you're taking promises like John 15, seven, that says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. And you're praying for salvations, people's souls, or you're praying for the comfort and the Holy Spirit to minister as you know he desires to do. You're praying for healing because you know God can heal, or you're praying for maybe a church uh, building or someone in your church or freedom from an addiction of sin, power to live for him, or just simply peace and joy in your life. And we talk to God all about it and we pray for these things. But the reality is God always doesn't answer us immediately as Christians or the way that we want. And this brings confusion to us when we talk about prayer and the power of prayer. I think this is why the Psalms resonate so much to us because they're so raw, they're so honest, and they bring up these honest questions. David is constantly asking God, if you read the Psalms, like, how long? Like, God, why is this happening? Well, I prayed for this and this isn't happening. And, or like, help, I just don't understand what's going on. And I think people naturally navigate to the Psalms because they actually deal with eternal stuff that's happening in our own souls. So they comfort us. Because they don't try to answer how prayer works. They just show you the struggle is real. And the struggle is real. God works. And yet we see in the Psalms, David continually settles on the fact that he can trust God in the confusion because of God's character. He always doesn't get his prayers answered either. Psalms should be prayers. Say something, you answer it, you get it done, right? Nope, it's not that simple. In Psalm 31, 14, and 15, David would say, But I trust you, O Lord. I say you are my God. In my time, my times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hands of my enemies and my persecutors. Many of the Psalms are wrestling with this idea and not knowing what's going on and finally concluding, God, but I just trust you and I praise you and I just go to you. And it's hard because you've probably seen prayers answered like me. I've seen miracles take place. I've seen God work in very specific, miraculous things, him showing up and showing care for people. But man, there are times when you pray and it's just this great mystery. You don't know what's happening. Is God ignoring you? This is why I always go back to 1 John five fourteen, where it says you can have confidence that God hears us but then it's like, well, if he hears me, then why wouldn't he answer that prayer? Or why would he say not now or no? And I don't necessarily know if we need to resolve this in this story. Because in this story, we see something beautiful about the power of prayer and how we're to persevere in prayer and the strength that it can bring in the mystery of these questions. You see, in the moments like these, what are we to do when we wrestle with the topic of prayer? It's important to go to God's word that addresses these things and get real answers to our real questions. And I believe that the text we just read in Nehemiah chapter two helps us address these types of real questions and gives us hope today to better understand prayer and to not give up when we don't understand. To just not give up when we don't understand. Because the first thing we see from this text is Nehemiah waited. He waited. Everyone's favorite word, right? Especially children. 
You got to wait. You got to persevere. The first thing we see is it's the month of Nisan. This is not a car make. This is a month in the Jewish calendar. Okay? And this month is significant because it shows us a time frame. If you go to chapter 1, verse 1, when he found out that horrible news about the city walls and everything going on, it was the month of Cheslev, I think. And that's verse one, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. And now it's the month of Nisan, which is significant because it's four months later. You remember when he heard that information, he was broken so much that he was fasting, he was praying, he was having intimacy with God, he was bringing his troubles to God, he was coping things in a healthy way, and he was going to God in prayer, talking and listening to the Lord, fasting, setting aside food to go to God and seek his will. And it seemed like nothing was happening. Not just for a day, but for months. So much so, that his demeanor was down. He got discouraged. Christians get discouraged. He didn't know what God was up to. He had to wait. Sometimes as Christians, we have to wait. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong because it takes strength to wait for God. And let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. It's important for us to know when we're praying that there is a waiting period and a process to how God works. Because if not, we'll be shocked and we'll think it's not happening. You see, maybe not you, but I live in what they call a microwave generation. You ever heard that before? It's just this instant gratification. Like I'm in a weird position because I remember life before the internet and after the internet, like a lot of you here. Things have changed. We want things immediately. And if it doesn't come to us immediately, man, we just, we're, we don't understand. Like, if you ask me how to grow vegetables and stuck me on a farm, I would die. It's just, I mean, that's just where we live at. Most of you all too, don't lie, you would too. You're no farmers. You go to Publix. You're like, ooh, BOGO. And you grab some vegetables and you're out. It's amazing. It's great. They, there's actually farms. And there's a process. And there's all this stuff that happens and it takes a lot of time and seasons and then there's fruit and you eat that fruit and it's amazing, it's incredible. But I was thinking about that because oftentimes we approach prayer as if we're going to Publix and it's not a process. We go to prayer and we say, well, we're going, we want transactional and God's like, no, I, I wanna walk with you through seasons and, and show you this way and how I cultivate things and, and how I'm God and brings the rain and all this different stuff. And, and so... Man, our prayer life weans or we fall dead or short. When we pray once, it doesn't happen, and we just die. Our prayers die. And God's like, well, what are you, what are you doing? This, you should be keep on praying and, and talking to me and having this intimacy. Like, I mean, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but like, there are certain things where you can pray for, and you know the answer immediately. I remember when I asked God, I remember, I remember fasting and praying and asking God, should I marry Laura? That didn't even last a day. It was like, yes, duh, hello. You know what I'm saying? I remember trying to fast. I was with my dad in the kitchen. I ate a piece of fish and I just spit it out. <laughs> he goes, what are you doing? I was like, I was fasted. I was gonna ask Laura to marry me. He goes, did God give you an answer? He goes, I go, yeah. Okay, great. And then we ate a meal. It was great. It was awesome. <laughs> One day, done, knew it. Yes, marry her. But I remember my best man who came to the wedding, who was my best friend in college, high school, he wasn't a believer. 
And I prayed for him for years and years and years. And it wasn't until after he was my best man, we grow, 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 grow. It was like years he was at work and his coworker led him to the Lord. And I was like, why did I have to pray like 10 years for this dude? And certain, certain things, I only pray for one. And it was like, you know what? The enemy wants us to give up, to lose hope, to not trust in the goodness and character of God. And sometimes God can give us an amazing answer right away, but oftentimes there's a process and the waiting is actually for our good and it's powerful. You know, a mighty man of God, a, a prayer warrior, a missionary, Hudson Taylor, he said this, Satan, is, Satan the hinderer may build a barrier about us. He may discourage us and bring all the stuff around us, but he can never roof us in so that we cannot look up. Enemy wants us discouraged not to pray, not to look to God and wants us to go and be deceived and say, well, God doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. And he wants us to focus on the character of God and question who God is when we don't get our way. But you know, as a parent, we sometimes say no for the good of our children to not eat the bag of sugar or to stay up until three in the morning. It would be bad for them. Sometimes God does things that we don't understand and it doesn't change his character, his goodness. And now we see Nehemiah in this story. He's praying to God about a huge situation and it took Nehemiah a while for his prayer to get answered. It was four months later. He was naturally getting discouraged. The king noticed. In verse one and two, it says, now I had, uh, I had not been sad in his presence. The king said to me, why is your face sad seeing you were not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. You ever been sad to the heart? We have that phrase, sick to the bone. But have you been sad to the heart? It affects you. It affects your body. It affects your life. Nehemiah just couldn't help it. Many of us can't help it when we just get depressed, we get sad and get discouraged and there's nothing wrong with that. The king noticed, but we also see him, Nehemiah, deal with it in a healthy way because he continues to bring that sadness and that hurt of heart to God. Psalm says he's near the brokenhearted, the crushed in spirit. And so Nehemiah said to the king in verse three, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruin and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Why shouldn't I be sad? This is a real problem, a real pain. We go through real stuff and we don't hide this away from God or our community. Then in verse four, the king said to me, well, what are you requesting? What can I do? And so Nehemiah's first response in this text says, so I prayed to God, the God of heaven, and then I said to the king, and in verses five through eight, Nehemiah lays out this his request and his plan to go ahead and build the wall. We see not, Nehemiah not only praying in chapter one, but now he's praying in chapter two. He's persevering in prayer. He kept seeking God through the situation, in the trial, in the burden. And we see God grant him favor, but was in his timing. He had to wait. He didn't get it immediately. And you know, we're gonna have to learn this lesson when it comes to prayer because being discouraged, uh, being discouraged while waiting can rob us of great strength and joy as we seek God and know his goodness. When we don't preserve in prayer, 
persevere in prayer, we're ignoring the fact and how God works and his timing that when we pray, we're submitting to his will and not ours. Maybe this is why Colossians 4.2 says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Just don't give up. Keep going, being watchful in it, having hope that God's going to work with thanksgiving. We need reminders that waiting on God isn't bad and it's actually normal. He allows us to wait and we need to trust that he answers his prayers and his timing in his way. And so as we study the rest of Nehemiah and his story and the scripture, we see a little bit more of why Nehemiah had to wait in this situation. And it's helpful for us because we may not always know why we have to wait, but it's good for us to be reminded of the character of God through someone else. Like Romans 15, 4 says, these things were written for our encouragement and hope so we would have examples of the faith and how God interacts and, and works with people. And we can actually see, oh, God was still working and there was a purpose for the waiting. There was a purpose. And so if there was a purpose in his waiting, maybe there's a purpose in our waiting as well. God was working as Nehemiah was waiting. Here's a great principle for you to understand and to know. When you don't know what to do or how to move forward, the what or how, focus on the who. Focus on who you know. Oftentimes, Satan wants us to be stumbled or tempted to know what or how. You don't have the wisdom. What's going to happen here? And fear creeps in and we freak out and we don't know what to do, but the Lord wants us to focus on him and his strength and his character. And Satan will actually blaspheme God and uh, defame his name and start giving us lies that God doesn't love us. He doesn't hear us. He doesn't care. He doesn't want good for all these things. And so when we don't know what to do, when we don't know how to do it, go to someone who you know Jesus himself, and pray. This is what Nehemiah is doing in the situation. We have to understand he didn't know how to fix this problem. He didn't know what to do. He had a position of being a cupbearer, but he was still sort of a slave. And so he couldn't just leave, even so much so when the king asked him, I see that you're sad. He's like, I'm sorry, sorry, forgive me. I don't want to be sad in front of you because he knew his life could be taken in that moment. He didn't know what to do, how to do it. But in the moment when the king asked him, he knew who to go to, the God of heaven, even before he went to man. And this is important for us to know. You know, Job, a familiar story in the Old Testament, he had a, gone through a similar situation where his life just, the rug got flipped underneath his feet, man. His life just got in ruin. He lost his children, his family, his kids, his wealth, his status, uh, his health. And he wrestles with God and his friends are saying, well, it's this and it's that. Or what about this? And there's sin and secret stuff. And he's like, no, no, I know my Redeemer lives. I know God's faithful. Like, I, I, don't know, I don't know why, but I'm not going to curse God and die, woman. That's what he told his wife. Because the wife was like, just curse God and die. He's like, no, I don't know any of that, but I know who God is. And at the end of the book of Job, he actually talks with God in prayer. He wrestles with God and he, and he starts asking God these real raw questions. And God speaks and rebukes him gently and firmly a little bit. He says, where were you and I made the heavens and the earth, the animals and this animal and that thing and this thing. And after his conversation with the Lord, he got clarity, which usually as we pray, we get more clarity on who God is and getting his heart. And it says in Job 42, 4, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job had no idea what to do and how to do it, 
But when he interacted with God, he, something in his soul said, but I, I just know that who you are and you can do whatever you want. It reassured him of how powerful God was, that God's a God of order and he can work out his plans the way he desires. And Job solidified his faith and trusted God through the pain and the situation. Or like in Romans 8, 28, it tells us that God can work out everything for our good for those that love him, called according to his purpose. We can be made like Jesus in the perseverance and the prayer. Now, I gave you a date, Nisan. It was four months later, Nehemiah was waiting, and this date is significant because the purpose of this delay in Nehemiah's prayer was actually prophecy, to fulfill prophecy. Daniel gives us some insight and I want to share a story with you that you may be familiar with. It's related to Easter and the triumphal entry. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, Daniel would get prophetic dreams and visions, so much so about the end times and when the Messiah would come. And he said, says this, Now therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, there would be a command to restore and build Jerusalem, From that coming out would be an anointed one, a Messiah, one that would save of sin. God would often give prophecy so that we would know when he came down as a man, this thing like we would understand that Micah 5.2, he would be born in a certain city or Isaiah chapter 7 where he would be born of a virgin or we could have these cues and say, this has to be of God. And this is one of these prophecies because saying there's going to be this command to restore the city and build the wall in times of trouble. And from that moment, this certain date, there will be a Messiah coming in and you can worship him. He will be the one that saves. A prince, it says, there shall be seven weeks. And this weeks can also be translated as times, seven times or seven sevens. Then for 62 Weeks or times or sevens, it shall be built again with squares and moats, but in a troubled time. And as you read Nehemiah, he's building these walls, he has all these enemies around him, and there's this troubled time. And scholars have come to learn and find out and do some math, so much so Sir Robert Anderson, who's this astronomer, astronomer and mathematician, he does a calculation with a Jewish calculator, and he says, from the time King Archaxerxes gave the order to Nehemiah, was 173,880 days from Nehemiah that date in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. That date will complete the wall when the wall was complete was March 14th, 445 BC. We know this in history and records and commands. And seven times 69 times, it would be 483 years are 483 years, April 6, 32 AD. I know, it's like nerdy math stuff. You're like, what are you even talking about, man? Well, remember Jesus in his ministry, he would continually say, now is not my time. This is not my time, it's not my time. He would heal people, say, go report to the temple or go to the priest, but don't tell anyone, it's not my time, it's not my time. But then, There was a moment in his ministry right before he went to the cross. It was a specific time called the triumphal entry where he did things to get on a donkey and ride into Jerusalem and people would worship him. And he would say, this is my time right now. 
I do this for a specific reason because I want you to know that I can save you and that I'm good and that I'm God and I love you and I'm going to the cross and I'm going to rise again. And Luke chapter 9, verses 38 through 40, it tells us this crowd was saying to to him, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, prince in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples because they knew that you're getting praise as worship is God. And he answered and said, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out because it was his time. It was a specific time the anointed one needed to be revealed. Jesus was fulfilling this prophecy in the context of riding on a donkey and understanding God's timing and revealing he was Messiah. Matthew gives us a take on this in Matthew chapter 21, verse 4. He says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. It was spoken years ago. We're talking about before Christ, B.C., hundreds and hundreds of years ago. It was spoken Verse five, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt and a fowl of a beast and burden. Jesus knew scripture. He understood the specific day that he would need to go to the cross and to actually receive praise. And he says, even if you don't receive praise, the rocks will cry out because this is my specific time that God has revealed the anointed one shall be here. And then he went into Jerusalem. He died for our sins. And he rose again. And it was from the month of Nisan, these orders to rebuild the wall in times of trouble, that there would be a certain amount of time that would reveal Christ so we would know our benefit. But in the moment, Nehemiah, he was not benefiting. He was waiting. He was sad and discouraged. You know, Proverbs 19.21 says, many are the plans in the mind of a man But it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So what I want you to see from this text is we always don't understand how God is working and moving, but he deserves our trust because he hears our prayers. He is at work. He's always working, even in our waiting on him. God intentionally allows us to persevere in prayer at times for his glory And are good. And as we wait on God, it is powerful for our lives because we actually get to get the benefit of seeing his character more. Isn't that just amazing to think about how God can like do this and say that and then fulfill it years later? And his sovereign hand is specific on our lives as well. There is a specific purpose and plan for our lives. Our our days are numbered, the Bible says. This is not because he's cruel that he doesn't answer things. He's the giver of all good gifts. He's the lover of your soul. Listen, if you called upon the name of the Lord, you were saved. You know God could answer your prayers. So there must be a reason and effort, even when you don't know what to do or how to do it or understand these things, you can trust that God is good and he is working. And so we must go to God in prayer. As I was reading Nehemiah, there's a great book by Chuck Swindoll um, on Nehemiah and leadership. And he gives great point, four points about prayer and waiting or benefits of prayer. He says, prayer makes me wait. He actually thinks this is a benefit. He he goes on this book, he says, uh, I have to wait to act until I finish praying. When I pray, it slows me down. I know some of us don't think that's a great benefit, but think about it. 
How many times have you been quick to speak and it's gotten you in trouble? Quick to do something. And go, well, look, when we pray and we take a step back, take our anger or emotion to God, it actually can help us. Prayer fo- focuses me to lead the situation to God and it makes me wait. Prayer clears vision. Not my will, but your will be done, Lord. It allows me to see things the way that God sees. This happens as we pray for his will and not just ours. Prayer quiets your heart. There could be a lot of noise, anxiety, but, but prayer calms your spirit to trust God in the situation. You know, when trials come and situations come, it's like all you can see is this. And we, God says, but you, you know the obstacle of the mountain? I'm, I'm a God that's bigger than the mountain. And we see that we can look and know God. He invites us to see him in the situation through prayer. Prayer activates my faith because after praying, I am more prone to trust God and reminded of his will and prayer sets my faith on fire. We know patience is a part of the fruit of the spirit, Galatians chapter five. So it's a virtue, something that we should go after, but we don't practically want to embrace it when it comes to our faith and prayer just simply because it's hard. And what I'm telling you, it's it's a part of the process. It's a powerful thing that God wants to use in our lives. Maybe this is why Jesus told us to keep praying. Like his disciples were worried about his return and all these trials and obstacles coming. And in Luke chapter 21, 28, it says, now these things began to take place. Problems on the earth. He says, when these things take place, straighten up, Raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Other words, look to the Lord. He would give a parable in Luke 18. I have the words, but I won't read it all. He told this parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And he talks about this woman and this judge and how they, this woman would go to this judge over and over and over again, this, this wicked judge. And this wicked judge said, listen, this woman is bothering me so much. I'm just going to re- let her request be done so I can move on and not be bothered anymore. And Jesus says, well, if that's the case, how much more will your heavenly father who is good answer your prayers and actually wants to bless you? Do not lose heart, pray. Andrew Murray said, God's children can conquer everything by prayer. Is it any wonder that Satan does his utmost to snatch that weapon from the Christian or to hinder his use of it? We cannot be discouraged. We must continue to go to God. And I don't know about you, but I've come to trust God the more and more I've walked with him in this mystery of prayer. I've seen him work and I've seen him work as I wait. As I've pastored people and prayed for them and seen their lives fall apart. I've seen the Lord's grace minister and heal. And I've seen God restore and give vision and some of my prayers that I desired so much, God say no, and then years later I say thank God. As you walk with God, you learn who he is, and oftentimes when we're in a situation of trial, we go to God over and over and over and over again, and he uses that to conform us into his image. That's how prayer is powerful in your life because he wants and he knows that you're gonna depend on him in a desperate situation, so he'll let that situation linger so you could understand him better. God wants us to practice perseverance when it comes to our prayers. Persistence in doing something despite difficulty 
or delay in achieving success is the definition of perseverance. It's this persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. Romans 12, 12 says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Just go to God, man. Just keep going to God. And as you do that, prayer makes you more like Jesus because you are who you hang around with. Proverbs 13, 20 says, if you hang with the fool, you become like a fool. If you hang with the wise, you become like the wise. And you see that those men and women of God in our generation and generations past and even in scripture, when they were hanging out with God and in his presence, it changed their lives so much that they started actually enjoying the presence and the benefits of walking in the character and goodness of God. An example of this is Moses. When he went to the mountain, he came down from the mountain and there was a glow about him. People knew and they recognized it. Corinthians chapter three, verse 18 says, we with all unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image that one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. There is a purpose why God wants you to depend on him over and over and over and over again. It comes from the spirit of God that he would allow us to wait. So wait on the Lord. Renew your strength in him. It's powerful. Sometimes not what we want to hear. We want to talk about the victory of prayer and just yes. But part of the power of prayer is we get to spend time with God himself. And the situations, the discouragement, the boiling, all this stuff, it leads us to a place that's so vital and just simply talking and listening to God and being with him. God will influence you for the good as you spend time with him. And as Nehemiah spent time with God in prayer, he did amazing things for the Lord in this book. He built the wall, he restored his brothers, he had leadership, he pointed other people to God. And it's interesting because over and over again in the book, he says it was the mighty hand of God that was with me. It was the favor of God that was with me. He didn't let that unanswered prayer cause bitterness because he knew he was being changed and transformed. I'll close with this quote. Donald Whitney says this, faith would never grow if all of our prayers were answered immediately. Persistent prayer tends to develop deeper gratitude as well. As the joy of a baby's birth is greater because of the months of anticipation, so it is the joy of an answered prayer after persistent praying. Keep that in mind, brothers and sisters, as you're praying and as you realize what a gift it is to be in the presence of God. There's joy in his presence. Not just in the gift, the gift but the giver of the gift. And when we do that, it's a powerful thing in our lives. Let's pray and respond as we worship and take communion. God, we thank you so much that we can keep on praying. We can keep on asking. We can trust that you're working. Just as you were working in Nehemiah's life, Lord, your word says you're working our lives. And so we just thank you for this season of prayer and fasting that we've sowed seeds in the ground. We're praying for a new church space. We're praying for more salvations. We're praying for impact in our community. God, we're praying for our friends' salvations. We got a lot of stuff that we're interceding for and we're praying and believing for. But Lord, we find our strength not in the answered prayers, but in you. And we worship you despite whatever your answer may be. Even if you say wait or no or not yet, whatever it may be, God, 
We want to praise you in advance and not question your character. You are a good and loving God and we come to you and want to respond because you demonstrated that love on the cross as you died and rose again for our sin. And so you say when we gather together, don't get so distracted by the obstacle, the trial, the thing we're going to. Remember, despite that, that you are good and you are a God of love. You are working. You love us and care for us. And so, Lord, we recognize that you're in our midst. We come to you humbly again and we, Lord, proclaim that you are our God. Such a great and big God that we can come to you in the mystery. We can come to you with our pain and our problems and everything that we have. And we can just say, God, just transform us. Make us new. Refresh us by your spirit. So we want to take communion and remember, Lord, that you died and rose and you are coming back again. And we may not even know all the details. We may not know every Bible verse. We may not know the future, but we can know you, God. And so we thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, that we can pray. We thank you, God, just for how you're moving in our lives. We pray, Holy Spirit, you administer to us as we receive these elements, as we go to you by faith and just praise you, for you are worthy of our praise. And it's in your powerful name we pray, Jesus. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.